Hello, and welcome to part two of the Bassware Bytes podcast discussing the putative new financial era. I'm Gareth Kershaw, and I'm joined once again by Tim Harford and Jason Vincelette as we continue our discussion about the impacts of this new era and exploring some of the commercial responses to it. Now, guys, what came through loud and clear during our conversation last time was the acceptance that change is needed. The first thing I would say is that there is an opportunity here. Um, because this complacency that both Jason and I have talked about, this, and maybe not complacency, maybe it's inertia, I don't know, this fondness people have of the status quo, um, the, and the way that a, you know, a shock can, can jolt you out of that, I think that's an even more powerful effect for, a, for an organisation. Because you can have a situation where you've just got one person somewhere with veto power, and maybe there are 20 people involved in a decision, and and these things can move very, very slowly. And I think what we saw uh, in March when lockdowns began uh, in many parts of the world was a real acceleration. Suddenly, whole organizations just instantly leaping to a completely new way of working because people faced this emergency, this common enemy. And so everyone was kind of on the same page and the, the, these individual vetoes evaporated. So there's a big opportunity there. I think it's worth, because this the shock will continue it is worth looking around and asking well what is it that we should be doing and uh, there's, there's no time like now um, the second thing I would emphasize is um, this is tough because there's a real value in um, in difficult times of being very agile being able to move very quickly um, but that often involves a lot of rapid communication really keeping in touch with people um, I imagine imagine a management team almost like an improvisational troupe on the on the stage, just picking up those subtle clues, quick fire responses. It's really hard when you can't see people's eyes. You know, when you're when everything's being done over the phone or everything's being done over over video chat. Um, so I think communication becomes really important. It's it's so easy for stuff to disappear through the cracks for, for balls to get dropped. I've seen that with my, my own experience over the last couple of months. Some stuff is happening amazingly quickly. People are being really innovative and yet really obvious stuff just gets dropped because everybody thought somebody else was doing it and no one checked. And you would have checked, if you'd been in the same place, you'd have just you know nodded, you'd have had a word in the corridor or whatever. But it, that, that's, the, that's the risk. You need that communication and it's, and it's becoming really hard to do that. I mean, I feel that every day just in my work group here, you know, the, 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 the communication that happens outside of the digital platforms is key and crucial to innovation. And I think that we'll see the workforces are changing, the workplaces are changing um, and are going to go back to some places that has a little bit higher collaboration capabilities. Um, so I definitely see that um, in my workplace. Absolutely. Is, is that reflected in what you're hearing and seeing from customers? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. I think, so my customers are uh, usually doing everything based on transactions. And since a lot of them work with their supply base, mainly remote anyway, I think there hasn't been a whole lot of changes with that. Um, but oftentimes, you know, suppliers will visit customers. And so there is kind of a miss for that kind of collaboration um, for kind of innovation of the supply chain. Um, so there's, I think there's going to be a slowdown on some of those aspects that can have this kind of quid pro quo. And like you said, these face-to-face meetings are invaluable in a lot of ways. And, and the 
and, and the best and most innovative ideas a lot of times come from just hashing it out in a war room, you know, if you will. And so I think that those opportunities are kind of getting missed. And that is one of my concerns um, just with regards to supply chain innovation um, for any of these organizations. And so having to think how to get back to that is key. But you're right. I mean, trying to figure out how to use the digital platforms to do the best with that. And there's a lot of technology that's coming out from some of these web collaboration tools that are allowing for this kind of space, even using avatars or, uh, you know, breakout rooms, whiteboarding and those kind of things to try to bridge that gap. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen any of those used necessarily with my customers, but um, that, that doesn't mean they're not being used right now. So, so are, um, are, are Basware's customers asking any particular questions? Are you seeing any particular questions asked um, quite often? You know, are they citing any particular associated pain points? And, and if so, what kind of advice are you, are you giving them? So their pain points right now is to get rid of paper 100%. Um, you know, in North America, it, invoicing is still is not, uh, digital invoicing is still not a federal regulation. And um, so, you know, our customers um, have, have not had to be completely digital. And so they're feeling now the need to go completely digital. And, and I say outside of even this kind of OCR technology where you're scanning a paper uh, and then taking that scan and turning it into some sort of digital format, even that is not fast enough, especially with COVID because our people that, you know, there's, there's peoples and organizations that are doing no scanning and they might not have access to those because they have to work remote now. And so there's like, um, and so it really is to look at the entire ecosystem, the entire environment to say, okay, what is slowing me down? What is keeping me from being 100% digital from, with my suppliers? And I think a lot of companies are starting to realize that. And so their pain point is totally getting rid of that paper. And we, we're working with them to advise them to just talking to their suppliers and saying, hey, this is our challenge. Can you offer a completely digital format? And if not, how can I help you do that? Um, and I think, so that's where the evolution is and that's very exciting for us. And, and that's where Basra is really kind of lifting up those processes. Quite clearly then, um, the, the, this kind of transformation, these changes, it's happening, it's happened very quickly and it's, and it's happening on, on the fly. And certainly unless people have really busied themselves in, over the last six months, I, I wonder what the, um, the dovetail is with what the incumbent change management strategies were before COVID, um, for instance. So, so, so Tim, given given this kind of kind of miasma of what's going on, and um, and and how quickly and how on the fly it's all having to happen, what would be your kind of headline advice for businesses based on all this? The advice based on you know, rapid change is. Is the, this vital importance of communication? And I mean, improvisers talk about the habit of yes. So you know, whatever whatever's being said, you try and build on it rather than just shutting it down. To say, okay, yes, we I'll, that thing that you've just suggested, I'm going to try and take that forward. I'm going to try and build something uh, on it. And I think that that was. I mean, it doesn't just mean being relentlessly positive about everything, but there's this idea that every move that somebody makes has has to have a constructive response rather than just shutting down. And and when that's happening, you move forward quickly. And I think that's what we really saw in March, April, and I think still see in some companies, but others there's the sense of 
you know, the the ancien regime is coming back and you know, people are starting to get comfortable and um, and dig their heels in and refuse to to adapt. Um, and I do think it is potentially, we, we shouldn't underplay the tremendous trauma, the people who've died, the incredible economic damage, the people who've lost their livelihoods. It's awful. But that said, there there is whenever there's a crisis, there are opportunities. And I'm, I'm really reminded of um, what happened to American manufacturing after the, the, the First World War, where the... And we've heard Jason talking about paper. There's paper everywhere. Paper just getting in the way, and you know people need to get rid of paper. Well, the the parallel for manufacturing a hundred years ago was drive shafts. These uh, these factories had been built to work around very large engines, steam engines, and the entire logic of the factory was built around drive shafts delivering power to all kinds of workbenches where you had these you know, little machine tools, um, and people experimented with with electrification. But they kept the drive shafts, so you'd you'd get rid of the old steam engine and you'd bring in this massive electric motor, and, not, and the factory was basically stay the same. And you you think you've made technological progress, but you're you know you're you're emailing PDFs instead of faxing, but you're still basically reliant on people printing out pieces of paper. And it's not you've not really helped. Um, and what happened after the First World War was. Um, because there was a shock to labor supply, because there were fewer immigrants coming to the United States, labor got more expensive. Uh, people started thinking, well, we you know we should rethink how we train workers. We should rethink how we do things. And they realized that they could they could rework their entire factories. They could get rid of the drive shafts. They could have tiny electric motors. Every worker's bench could have a small motor on it. Instead of delivering power via drive shafts, you deliver power via electrical wires. You can change the way the factory floor works. The factories could spread out, more natural light, better trained workers. So you've changed everything now. You've changed the architecture, the, the business, the process flow around the factory. You've changed the training and the remuneration of the staff. And it all came because of this shock. Uh, and people had been waiting for productivity in manufacturing to increase since about 1880 and it took till about 1920 so it took more than a third of a century and it and it took this shock so i see the same thing all over now you know it was drive shafts back then as jason says it's paper now and there'll be other things as well but you need to take advantage of the shock to completely rethink the way you do things and really from the ground up what is it that we could be doing better if we were untrammeled by the way we used to do things in the past. Yeah, that's very, that's very, very good, Tim. And I, yeah, I completely agree. I think a lot of my customers are still having that paradigm shift, the struggle to think about that from the ground up. And, you know, you know, I think there was a quote, maybe it's probably misquoted from Henry Ford that said, if he listened to his customers, he would have just made a faster horse, you know? And so I think that you definitely have to think about the entire situation and also where you want to be in the future and just don't take a paper process and make the paper process faster. You know, really, really kind of um, dig in and, and make the changes that are needed to future-proof yourself. Wow. So kind of circling back to, to, to our idea of necessity being the mother of invention, it sounds very much like the trial and error almost has to be a natural part of this change management process. Yeah, trial and error, I think, is, is incredibly important when you look at how any economy works. The healthiest economies are the ones with the highest rates of churn, the highest rates of business failure, 
because the the ones with the highest rates of business failure also have the highest rates of business success and and good ideas rapidly expand. So trial and error is absolutely fundamental. Um, the trouble is it's it's kind of hard. We, nobody. I remember once seeing a, a talk by one of the the great old men of Disney. Uh, he's since sadly died. Um, but I was at Disney at this corporate conference, and he was on stage telling us about the Disney way. And, and he and he said, "Look, well, we knew that if half of our ideas didn't fail, we weren't trying hard enough. We weren't being ambitious enough. Uh, we weren't pushing things hard enough. We weren't taking enough risks." And um, it was actually a supply chain management conference. So I was su- surrounded by supply chain managers, and I looked around, and everyone was nodding. And I remember thinking, "I completely agree with what's being said." Failure is is part of success. Um, you know, the, there's this process of learning through trial and error. But at the same time, do you guys honestly mean to tell me that you're going to go to the office and start failing in half of the things you do? You, you, I mean, this is all supply chain management. We don't deliberately go out to fail. It's it's hard. It's hard to adopt as a strategy. So the more I think about this, the more I think that we need to be deliberate about keeping failure cheap and fast that's how experimentation really works um, if you if you start with the presumption that what you're doing might not work you start thinking about ah okay let's do small pilots let's do prototypes let's run little experiments a b testing on our website let's do surveys of our customers um, how do how do we find out as quickly as possible where this is working and where it isn't um, but we tend not to do that, and the reason we tend not to do that is because we we really want it to just work first time and like be a massive success and there'd be no failure at all. And so the risk is that because we're because we're not willing to consider the possibility of failure, um, we we end up making the failures much bigger, much slower, and much more expensive than they have to be. I do believe I may have been at that that same Disney conference. It, it may even have been where we first rubbed shoulders to. I'm not sure. It, it's it's quite possible. It's quite possible. It was very memorable, and it was completely. He was completely right. But but at the same time, it's like yeah, it's easy to say, and it sounds cool when you're the Disney guy. But it's hard. We should, and we need to admit that it's hard, and then think about what we do to make it easier. So, so in this sense, guys, um, and whilst I'm aware we, we need to be very careful about saying such things, you know, do you think that COVID or the pandemic could, in some manner, end up almost working in businesses' favour in some way, with you know people becoming more accustomed and open to change, and the idea that you know they they realise they need to pivot, um, they need to turn on a dime. Jason, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think we fail all over the place, <laughs> you know, um, and especially in the first couple of months there, I think people are realizing that the processes, technology, maybe people, the situations they had in place w- were not durable and, um, and we failed and we had to change and we had to be um, more dynamic and more responsive and more agile in order to try different things to, to get back to business. And not everything worked. And so I agree with you that, uh, yeah, we might be more conditioned now to this kind of like um, more, um, you know, A-B testing approach to, to, to try and change. I think a lot of us have probably um, already experienced several failures in that process. So maybe we're a little more accustomed to it, but also been able to get up from those failures and do, um, do better things. And so I think the under, understanding in the removal of the fear of failure is the experience of getting up from it. And so I, I think that's happened all over the place. 
And the, the companies that, you know, you talk about this would be better for companies and the economy and those kind of things. I think the companies that knew how to do that from the beginning and have those experiences are the ones that are going to survive with whatever happens in the future. And the ones that couldn't handle those, um, you know, that and, and pivot it on it um, are the ones that are just going to naturally kind of attrition out. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is perfectly possible to say that this is a disaster and at the same time to say that it will lead to positive changes. There's there's nothing uh, illogical or inconsistent about that. If you think about the First World War, I described the the enormous boost in manufacturing productivity in the 1920s. I'm not saying, oh, you know, the First World War was a good thing or it was it was a price worth paying because we got manufacturing productivity. Of, of course not. It was, it was just appalling, appalling loss of life. But nevertheless, I think it's worth noting that it did prompt this shake-up in, in this quite indirect way um, because of the changes to immigration law, in fact, in the United States. And, and the, you, you see the same thing after the Second World War, big boosts in, in technological productivity. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to say that I, we expect some big productivity gains, some big changes to winners and losers in the economy, uh, and a real embrace of, te- of new medical technology and new digital technology, while at the same time remembering the people, and friends of mine have died, remembering the people who've died, being mindful of the people who've lost their livelihoods, uh, but not because of that, closing your eyes to the need to adapt and change and possibly seize opportunities. How does the finance function um, need to change its thinking and its processes in, in, in this way, beyond beyond the beyond the eradication of paper, obviously. How do you feel that, the, 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 is, it, there, is there a sense that the finance function needs to change its mindset or its thinking? Or, or, or am, I, am I wrong in that regard? So, yeah, we had this notion of visible commerce at Bazware because, you know, we aim, and a lot of our customers aim to, to gather 100% of their invoices, 100% of their accounts payable um, through a single kind of uh, network, a single um, hub, if you will, that allows us to report on all of that activity and allows us to give a single uh, central location to understand where your supplier risk is, um, you know, where your uh, where your opportunities are for, um, you know, discounting, uh, where your outstanding accounts payable items are in, in the days uh, that they're, you know, going without actually paying their invoices. And, and all of these trends um, are really centralized. I think before... It was, it was more of a decentralized function and, and the businesses were just moving along, right? Doing the things they were supposed to be doing from the front end, selling their products, selling their goods, and not thinking about the back end and having visibility into their complete supply chain and all the outstanding payments associated with that as also with the risk. So now they are saying, okay, well, I can't do the front end of my business without understanding completely what's going on with the back end systems and the back end business in my supply chain. So I, they're, they're moving more towards the, this notion of trying to understand and see everything all at once in the same place because they don't now have the staff for various reasons to go dig across multiple systems, multiple scenarios in order to get that information at relatively real-time pace to pivot like we just talked about, to be more agile in business. And so they're setting these things up to really centralize this visibility function so they can react quicker to the needs of the business. Um, 
And, and, and so we really see that there's, that there's a huge push for that now. And that's how over the past year, you know, Basware has been uh, pushing for this visible commerce component, knowing that that is going to be a value add. We were not anticipating COVID, <laughs> just let you know. Um, but it, it ends up being kind of uh, aligning in, in that regard, too. If we are right in the assumption that we have entered some manner of new era here, what for you guys are, are the kind of key learnings or the, the key things to be thinking about for businesses right now? I, I would look for opportunity in, in the pain points. Now, what is it that we, we wanted to do, that we used to do, that we can't do anymore? That's the most obvious point at which you start going, okay, here are the opportunities to change things. Uh, you know, we, want, we wanted to be able to pick up mail from the mailroom and to send pieces of paper to other people. We wanted to be able to see each other face to face, have meetings, get on airplanes. These are the things we used to do. These are the things we, we got, got used to doing, got in the habit of doing. That's the most obvious place to start going, well, how can we, how can we do it better? And then from that, then start going, well, hang on, what are the, what are the opportunities to actually do things better than we did before? Not just settling for replacing what we've lost, but realizing that the new technologies offer us different capabilities, the new ways of working offer us different ways to do things. And you sort of start by focusing on what has to change, but don't stop there. Use that as the jumping off point for thinking really differently and going, right, what, what are the opportunities that we could have been taking advantage of all along? But also, I, you know, just to add, you know, I think a lot of companies are hesitant with the, the financial component of making these changes. You know, they have a loss of employees in a lot of places, so they don't have the people to make these changes. But, um, you know, just be you know, brave um, that you can do it. It may take time. Lean on your suppliers, to have, your technology suppliers especially, to help out. Lean on other suppliers that can actually help out with implementations of these technologies, advising um, of how to make change. You don't have to do it all alone. And also be brave to be better than your competition. Note that your competition is going to be also better at the end of this because they're going to go through some of these changes, especially in the back office, and that's going to give them a better net, you know, net revenue. Know that you are facing your competition in that regard. So it's, it's paramount that you also are, embrace this change, embrace this opportunity. And you have a great excuse, right? Um, so with the board to find the money to, in order to do that and, and to get the change management associated with it. And you definitely can do it. So um, before we tie up completely, guys, I mean, is there anything that you think that we haven't covered that we really sh- ought to have done? Well, the only thing I'd add is that it's, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and talk about exciting opportunities. But um, we, we should remember that change makes some people feel very anxious and un- uncomfortable. And especially if we're in a situation where we're not seeing our colleagues face to face, you know, we need to make an effort to to check in on them. I was emphasising the the importance of communication earlier, but uh, I mean this is something that it's it's easy to forget. We think about all the the challenges we're facing, and sometimes we we forget what other people might be going through. So amid all of the excitement, and I think there's a lot of excitement, a lot of things, a lot of just sort of dynamic opportunities that a certain kind of person gets very excited about. Uh, we need to remember to check in on our colleagues and, and be kind as well. Uh, I think, I think that's, a, that's an absolutely perfect takeaway to, to tie up yeah, on. So great. thank you so much. 
Um, guys, so far as I'm concerned, that's been a really illuminating and instructive conversation. I'm really grateful for your time, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Not just and not just the Brian Eno and David Bowie references. Well, this has been great. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you.